Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Opioid overdoses are now the most common cause of death in Americans under the age of 50. 64,000 people died from the drugs last year alone. And while the federal government grapples with ways to wrap its hands around the opioid epidemic, private companies are taking matters into their own hands. Joining me now to discuss is Dr. Kerry. Donaldson. He is CEO of Prescient Medicine based in Pennsylvania, and it is so good to have you here to talk about this very important subject. Happy to be here. Um, like you say, this is a very important subject, and I think any increased dialogue on the topic is helpful to everyone. Now, for, for folks who don't know, this is a genetics company. It is primarily a genetics company. And you believe that genetics can play a part in the solution of the opioid crisis? We do. Uh, Research is focused on the, the possible genetic role to addiction in general, including opioid substance use disorders, since the 1950s or 1960s. So we've known for quite some time that genetics comprise a portion of the solution here, or at least a portion of the problem. Um, the amount that that genetic background uh, predisposes a patient to developing a disease or a substance use disorder is is somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 70%, depending upon the studies that you read over time. What is new is not us knowing that genetics play a possible role, but using that possible role that they play to develop a risk score uh, with some new mathematical modeling and to be able to, to, to take that score and affect patient care. So that's really the new portion of this. It's not surprising to anyone that genetics really plays a role in addiction. Uh, but it is surprising to see the increased power of that predictive role that we can get out of a patient's genetics is it really just coming to bear within the last few years. Now, you've been doing research for several years, um, and you have a product called Life Kit Predict. But I want to talk first about what your research has shown. Yeah, so, so the, the real way we orient and prescient ourselves is to problems. And the problem here is clearly... A certain portion of the population, when given an opioid, experiences a different, uh, a different response than another portion of the population. About six years ago, uh, we and one of our partner companies started to ask the question, can we go through and possibly identify a model that would allow us to better describe who's going to develop this addiction or has a higher likelihood, maybe genetically, of developing this addiction from a group that does it? Fairly simple question took us about six years to go through. The primary studies and, and data that we looked at, numbers in the five, seven, maybe 10,000 patients that we were doing things like uh, a fairly complex GWAS, genomic-wide association models. Um, these are things that are in the news today. In fact, last week, somebody just published another paper finding a gene with about 5,000 patients. So we started that about six years ago. Uh, what makes us a little bit different is that we identify those genes and then we ask ourselves the question, so what? Mm -hmm. Can we go through and use this as a marker to aid clinical care? And that's relatively new. So going through and using multiple different genes in somebody's background and, and trying to address, is there something in that person's background that is more like a patient population with an opioid substance use disorder or not? And that, that methods paper uh, was published last year it's a little revolutionary in medicine to be using the, these techniques are called machine learning. They're very well accepted in, in the financial world, much, right. much more widely accepted in the financial world than they are in the medical world. And so you have partnered with healthcare providers in sharing your research? We have. So, so not only sharing the basic research and asking and answering the question 
that I, I just illustrated, but going through and asking and answering some more questions. For instance, prior to elective surgery, like knee replacement surgery or spinal surgery, if you have an alternative pathway that decreases the opioid exposure in that population for patients that may have an increased genetic risk, let's talk about how to do that. Let's talk about a holistic model partnering not only with the, the practitioners, but the providers uh, that may be paying for this. We call them payviders. So insurance companies is in that, that, that group of, of, of companies. And in addition to that, pharmaceutical companies, some people that, that, that unfortunately um, are singled out as part of the problem, and sometimes rightfully so, we tend to view them as, as portions of the solution. So partnering with them to talk about where it is appropriate to give a certain medication versus another medication prior to exposure is, is a very active topic right now. So the, your test can determine with 97% sensitivity whether an individual will become dependent yeah. on opioids. So I guess my question is, if I were to go through this test and I find that I don't have a high likelihood of becoming addicted to opioids, what do I do with that information? Yeah, so, so it, this is really personalized precision medicine. So this gives you an, individually, an individual understanding of risk. So, so what you do with this information is you could go through and say, okay, my genes are like a population with a substance use disorder, opioid substance use disorder. Maybe I wanna try an alternative therapy. Maybe I don't wanna go through and take a very long course of opioids as part of my treatment. Maybe I should try these different alternative therapies. They can include things like massage, different therapeutic agents, acupuncture, there's all kinds of different choices available once you understand your risk maybe to developing a substance use is higher than the normal population. Other side of that coin, what if you have a, a, a genetic risk that's not similar to the group with a substance use disorder? It doesn't give you a free pass. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean if you, you go through and you take 90 days of, of opioids, you're not gonna be dependent upon those drugs. Mm -hmm. If you take opioids for 90, 90 days and it's a high dose opioid, you will be physiologically dependent upon that drug. Um, so, so I think it's important to understand that, that standard of care in that population with a lower risk would be still watchful waiting, still minimization strategies that you're seeing implemented at the state, regional, and federal level right now. You know, dosage of seven days or less in primary prescriptions. It, it's not a free pass to go through and do what you want, but it is probably a more individual risk assessment that you can educated guess in terms of your choice or risk to take one medication versus another. You know, a lot of people like to play the blame game when it comes to the opioid crisis. We'll blame the manufacturers. We'll blame the doctors. In fact, 14 attorneys general are already uh, bringing lawsuits against the manufacturers of some of these drugs. Um, do they deserve some of the blame? I think we all deserve some of the blame. And I'm a practitioner, right? So I think whether you were a practitioner whether you're, meaning a provider, whether you're a patient and sometimes misused appropriate medications in a way in which they were not prescribed, whether you were a pharmaceutical company that was making or manufacturing the drug and maybe marketing a little bit outside of what, what traditionally should be used, uh, or whether you're a federal or regional government that has gone through and seen this problem and not acted as soon as maybe we think they should. You know, in hindsight, I think that, that there's more than enough blame to go around. Just like there's more than enough blame to go around, I think all of these people can be part of the solutions. And the last one that I would add to that is insurance providers, because I think I, I think that, that comprehensively understanding uh, a financial risk-based model uh, to deliver more appropriate care, uh, better and more accurate use of your healthcare dollar holistically with a patient is really a portion of the solution too. I mean, right now it's staggering, but treatment associated with opioid uh, addiction 
is has topped a trillion dollars? Yeah, so those numbers came out within the last month or so, and, and it's, it's not overly surprising to those of us that watch this closely. Uh, annual estimates now, you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe low-end 50, 70, million, or 70 billion dollars per year, high-end 100 billion dollars per year. So cumulatively over the last 10 years or so, that's where that very large number comes out. And, and the other interesting thing is that doesn't capture everything. Right, there's certain portions of this cost that are easy to capture, uh, medications that are spent, you know, hospital administrations, uh, admissions for for overdoses. But there's also, you know, a critical portion of this this epidemic affects, you know, days at work, uh, families that miss work because you know they're taking care of a sick per, uh, a patient with chronic pain that's that's addicted or dependent upon some of their medications there. So that cost may be actually higher. Uh, if you look at it holistically. And it's important, too, to point out that people who are addicted to these painkillers are not, I, I hate to say it this way, but run-of-the-mill drug addicts. These are people with families who are getting up and working every day who are trying to manage pain, and uh, something very unfortunate has happened. That's exactly right. This, this clearly is a disease. And I think one of the, the conceptual challenges or opportunity to overcome is the association with intravenous drug use, which uh, heroin or fentanyl, uh, historically was associated with quote-unquote junkies or addicts and I think understanding that this is really a complex disease and it's not their choice most individuals if not all individuals would not choose to be addicted to heroin or or an opioid this is something they were exposed to maybe as part of their normal care up to 80% of patients that become a, a addicted or dependent upon heroin or fentanyl start with primary prescriptions that are over-the-counter as part of their normal treatment 80% up to 80% depending upon the population what are some of the more common painkillers that that people unfortunately do get hooked on yeah the the brand names vary a little bit but but oxycontin is one of the ones to think about uh, vicodin is one of the ones to think about hydrocodone hydromorphone these are either brand or generic names that where the primary exposure usually occurs um, interestingly enough if you look at this from an epidemiologic perspective uh, this also targets a vulnerable a vulnerable population what do I mean? We know that primary exposure usually occurs for minor surgeries when you're not expecting it. Things as is, is ubiquitous as wisdom teeth extraction mm -hmm. or, or wrist sprains. And that also occurs in a population that tends to be younger as well, right? So right in that 15, 17 age to 21, 22, this can be where uh, an exposure starts uh, to this opioid. And, and the other thing that's interesting to understand about this is if you're looking at the news, they're limiting duration of of uh, opioid prescriptions. The reason they're doing that is that if you if you would prescribe a 90-day course of some of these these uh, over oral um, uh, opioid medications, a significant portion of that population is going to be dependent upon that drug. We talked about this a little earlier today. Um, if you go down to seven days, it's still one in ten. If you go down to three days, it's still one in sixteen. Hmm. So even the most the most strict short duration of these prescriptions that are out there for things as ubiquitous as acute pain have a likelihood at the end of one year to have a patient population that's still dependent on that drug. And that's why we so deeply believe in prediction and prevention, because one of our goals would be, you know, to, to identify that one in 16. And stop addiction before it starts. That's exactly right. So tell me now about your, your product, um, which is called Life Kit Predict. Yeah. Uh, first off, I mean, when I read about it, I thought, wow, this is sort of a, a take-home uh, test to tell me whether or not I'm going to get addicted to opioids. I know I'm simplifying it, but is that it at the end of the day? At the end of the day, that's what it should be. 
right? So, so I think it's, it's important to understand that medicine or medical delivery in the U.S. is very complex, right? This is a, a heterogeneic population that you're trying to affect. Uh, this test is very simple. So the way you're thinking about this may be uh, consistent with over-the-counter products like 23andMe because the collection method is exactly the same. So what you're doing is either uh, taking a swab inside your mouth, you can send it through the normal mail. Um, where we're at with this test, just because it's so new, is we like to partner with practitioners and physicians or healthcare systems that understand how this information should be used. Um, so, so it is available at the moment, but we're working uh, through a series of partners to make it more widely available and make sure that the information, when it's conveyed to a patient, we truly believe that that patient should understand their individual risk, but we're working to make sure that they don't misinterpret the information that comes from this test. So if someone wants to use the test, take the test, they would have to do so through their healthcare provider if they partner with you? That's the way it's currently set up. Uh, it's not the way it's always going to be, most likely, but it's the way that it's currently set up because our first goal is to do no harm, right? We want to make sure that we do this in an appropriate way. This is the only diagnostic test that has shown to be 97% sensitive for risk classification. It's relatively new. It's relatively new to providers. It's relatively new to patients. Uh, so we want to make sure that that information is using appropriately. You can go to our website, www.prescientmedicine.com, find a provider. More chances than not, there's someone in your area that we work with already, and we've trained them to understand the interpretation of this test. And, and uh, the other thing that we're doing at, at this current time is working with insurers to make sure that the appropriate payment is there for this type of test, too, so that there's no cost or barrier to entry of this at patients. Um, do you find that you can people can use this kit for things other than trying to find out if they, could, if they have a predilection to opioids? So current research, what we're doing now is, is, is really state-of-the-art modeling. We're asking questions uh, for other brain reward pathway-dependent activities, other drugs. Nicotine's a very good one. Alcohol's a very good one. There's a few others that are on our, our hot list, so to speak, that we're talking about and saying, can we risk stratify for other agents? The other two questions that are very important right now are, once a patient's on an opioid medication for treating chronic pain, um, and I oversimplify this, but you're either going to stay on the same dose over time, you're going to escalate your dose over time, or very quickly you can unfortunately progress to a substance use disorder. Can you divide those three populations in chronic pain from each other? And if so, can you treat them differently so that they don't have the, the negative effects of their treatment, get back to work sooner, live more full, robust lives? That's a very good question with this. We're currently evaluating that. The last question that I think that this would be interesting on would be going through and talking about whether in a patient population that already has addiction, how do you treat them? Because there's dis different therapeutic agents that are being used to treat addiction now. Can you go through and predict which type of agent a pa patient has the highest response to? You know, how do you know that you have a problem if you're taking these painkillers? How do you know that you sort of cross the line and, wow, boy, this is a problem now? Yeah. So, so you know, psychiatry and addiction in general, very complex. Uh, there are risk scores that go through and use these somewhat subjective classificatory methods, checking boxes, do you take more than a certain amount a day, does this impact your life in a certain way. Uh, those, those scores are widely available online. It's something that you could do yourself or as part of a discussion with your practitioner. I think fear around developing dependency is real here, and that's what a tool like Life Pit Predict helps answer too. 
right? So, so this is not something that you should avoid at all costs. If part of your care is a normal standard dose of opioid and you have a low risk, that may be the best agent for you. You don't have to avoid it. Now, if you would have a, maybe a higher risk based upon family history, early adult trauma, uh, genetics, maybe you don't want to take an opioid, right? Maybe you should use an alternative therapy. And I, I think that, that how this is going to be used to deliver care is rapidly evolving. How can somebody be a self-advocate uh, when they, you know, when they're in their doctor's office and the doctor is writing out a prescription for a painkiller? What what can they do? So, so part of the opportunity or challenge, depending upon how you view that, with current practice is that historically the medical delivery system, when I was trained, is we used to go through and. and objectively classify a patient's pain score and that would be a, a success measure for you get the pain score as low as possible so many of the physicians or practitioners that are out there are doing the same thing so when they're thinking about patient satisfaction workflow they're still in that training mindset that I have to give a script it's a lot a lot easier to write a script and leave than it is to argue you don't need a script if you're a physician or a practitioner um, and it, from a patient perspective, exactly the opposite is true. I, I think engaged individual risk assessment and being a vocal, uh, a vocal participant in delivery of your care is something that always should be encouraged. And I think this particular tool gives you a significant increase of the amount of information that you can have when you're having that discussion. When do you think we might be able to buy LifeKit on the store shelves? My hope would be by end of year. By end of year? Yeah. Are you looking at a price point? We are. So, so one of the other belief systems that we have on this is if you look at, at genetic tests in general and, and a, a close competitor um, could be something that, that would bill for $1,500, $2,000, that is not our prerogative, right? Our prerogative is that this is a life-changing test and, and people need access to this type of text. So, so the way in which we've scaled, you're in between depending upon um, the setting a two to four hundred dollar price point. Two to hundred two, two to, to four hundred dollars. And we're thinking that insurance will pick some if not all of that. That up. is the goal. So so making this so it's relevant, it's cost effective, it's a more wise use of your healthcare dollar. You know, the numbers that we talked about at the very beginning are real and they're not two to four hundred dollars. Right. right. So going through and identifying an at risk population, avoiding addiction when every single hospital visit could charge forty six to fifty six thousand dollars for an overdose. Very quickly, this is a cost effective model. What about when you talk about alternatives to painkillers? Uh, the marijuana industry has jumped all over this saying, well, wait a minute, we're here. Yeah. Um, what's your take on that? I think that cannabinoids and, and medical use of cannabinoids may be a part of the solution here, but there's also very many other alternative comprehensive pain control methods that are out there that are fairly well defined now, depending upon the surgery or, or the particulars of the patient care. Uh, they would include uh, long-acting liposomal marcaine, something that you can get an injection with a knee surgery and it lasts for three days, not three hours. That helps a lot. Right? So if the vast majority of the pain you don't feel and it's a non-opioid, um, it's, it's approved in the U.S. right now under the FDA for the indication that I just gave you, uh, there's any number of agents that are hitting the market uh, or soon to be hitting the market that help with that. Comprehensive multimodality pain control uh, instead of just giving one script for, you know, Percocet, pick the drug. Instead of one script for Percocet, giving three or four different scripts that cover that pain and that are not addictive is out there right now. Is marijuana addictive? Is marijuana, medical marijuana? Yes. So um, risk tolerance 
uh, I think you will develop a tolerance to the drug over the time. The question is, is, is the use and the sustained use of medical marijuana has been associated with acute withdrawal symptoms. So, so by a physiologic definition of addictive, if we're talking dependence, I think you can see some dependence. Whether it's truly addictive is a good question, and I don't know the answer to that. Well, Dr. Donaldson of Prescient Medicine, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this epidemic and uh, for your product that we're excited to see come to market. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, and happy to come back anytime. You want to do the podcast close? But okay. And thank you all for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast, and remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.